Well, thank you, Roger. Thank you all for welcoming me here today. It's a joy to be here. Uh, I, as Roger said, we met in Canada. Right now I live in the snowy lands, still very snowy, of Wyoming. Uh, my wife is from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and so we are there right now, and there's still about five feet of snow outside our house. So it is a dear joy to be here with you today and not be looking at everything white. Uh, we needed a break. It's my kid's spring break, so we're happy to be here, and again, thanks for welcoming me. Um, let me pray one more time for us. God, as we come to your word today, we thank you for the gift of it. We thank you uh, that your word is holy and that it refines us, and we pray for that to happen today. Come, Lord Jesus, and speak to us uh, through your word, through this book of Exodus, and we thank you for the gift of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for the past few weeks, I've been told that you've been studying Israel's time in the wilderness in Exodus, where God taught them important lessons about what true life is. That reminded me of uh, what Paul says writing to Timothy in his first letter. He says, pursue the life that truly is life. And in Exodus, we see God revealing how this life uh, is true life in the wilderness. And we all have wilderness moments in our life, don't we? You know them, I know them. It's when the sky is a bit gray, you can't see the horizon, you don't really know which way to go. You might be tired, you might be hungry or thirsty, you might be wondering where God is. Panic might be just below the surface, but you hold it down and you keep going and you go to the grocery store or you drive your kids to school, you put on a happy face because what else can you do? You got to live your life. Wilderness isn't a fun place, it's not an afternoon at the beach. Uh, but it is where God often shows himself to us and how to live and how to find that life that really is life. And don't you want that? I do. I know I do. In our text today, we hear uh, of God speaking in some serious wilderness. And God teaches Israel about holiness. Holiness. What does that word bring up for you? Holiness. What comes to mind? My grandparents weren't allowed to play cards or go to the movies on weekends, much less dance. Why? Holiness. Holiness. Uh, you know, when I was driving here yesterday from Charlotte, I saw lots of churches that said Pentecostal Holiness Church. I wonder what exactly they were thinking, what, what they mean by that. We all have different things that come to our mind when we hear the word holiness. Well, the Bible tells us God is holy. It's a good starting point. And this means God is good, and God is good in a way nothing else is. God is categorically other or different than anything that's created. God is holy. He's different. And that's why the law which God gave Moses on Sinai, that's what it'll all be about. God wants his people to be holy too. And he wants them to be holy not just for the sake of it, but for a purpose to reflect his goodness to the world, to reflect his love to the world. God spells this out very uh, specifically in Leviticus 11.45. You may have heard it when I, once I read it. It says, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. But uh, Exodus 19, I think, helps us understand this a bit more. Exodus 19 is the beginning of God's long conversation with Moses. 
Moses gets a lot of work in Exodus 19 forward. He goes up and down the mountain many times. Uh, But the whole thing, the whole conversation is basically a call to be holy. It's a long one. Israel's there for about a year in in biblical history. Uh, And it's a pivotal moment in their relationship. So God's already given given the people his covenant. He's promised to Abraham uh, way way before this uh, that he would be the father of his chosen people. And they would be a light to the nations, and they would radiate God's love to the world. And he said, through you, all the earth will be blessed. It's amazing. But on Sinai, we see this relationship spelled out, and we get to see what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to sound like uh, to be a light to, to the nations. God casts a vision for them of the life that really is life. And before he, before he gets into the nitty-gritty of what this is going to look like for an ancient people like Israel, and it's good news that it doesn't look the exact same for us as it did for them, uh, he gives them a thesis statement or a big picture of what it's all about. And that's what we see in Exodus 19. And so that's what we'll focus on today, the big picture. So God says holiness is about two things here. It's about two things. First, remembering and then becoming. Holiness is about remembering and becoming. First, it's remembering who God is. And remembering in a way that transforms us. Not just like I need to remember my keys, phone, and wallet, which I often forget. It's a remembering that allows us to become the people who God has called us to be. People who are truly, truly alive. So let's look together again at Exodus 19. I'm going to start in um, verse 3. About midway through. The Lord called to, to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the, ho- and to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you up to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what's going on here? The first thing, again, is holiness is about God and what God has done for you and for me and for us. Look at uh, verse 4 again. We hear um, the first thing that God says to Moses is about remembering. Tell the people, you yourselves saw what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You saw what I did. You were there. You've seen how I saved you from Egypt, from the house of slavery. And this is a pattern all throughout Exodus in the Old Testament. Remember that I saved you. Remember. Don't forget. Remember how I saved you and I brought you to myself. I bore you on eagles' wings. Remember my love for you. I went against an army for you. I spread a Red Sea for you. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Like I said, I live in Wyoming right now. And everyone knows in Wyoming, the last place you want to be is in between a mother grizzly bear and her cubs. That's not a space you ever want to be. There's a famous grizzly bear there called 399. They actually number them. And she's often on the front of the paper when she's seen. It's amazing. But you never want to be between 399 and her cubs. Do you know why? Yeah, you probably do, because that mama grizzly will do whatever it takes to get her cubs back to herself. 
and you do not want to be in the way, even if you have a little can of bear spray, or if you have a machine gun, the mama bear isn't going to care. She's going to charge you because you're in between her and her cubs. She doesn't care. And why does she do this? Why? She does it because of love. Because she loves those little cubs more than anything in the world, and she'll do anything to protect them. That's how God came after Israel in Egypt. That's how God comes after you. Remember, this is how God loves you. God loves you like a mother bear loves her cubs, and she will fight any enemy to get back to you. God will charge any enemy no matter what it is, and he did. In fact, the enemy of death God took care of to get to you. Holiness starts in remembering this. It can be hard, but that's our call. First to remember, keeping your memory of God's love. Your memory, you have your own story of God's love coming to you. Keeping that alive before you in a way that transforms. And in some ways, this is the entire Christian life, isn't it? Remembering these good things that God has done for us, his love for us, his pursuit of us. Because what we remember and how we remember it shapes who we are today. It shapes how we live and who we are becoming and who we do become. It becomes part of our identity. And this is why God starts out saying, remember what I did for you back then in Egypt, how I came after you. But how do you remember? Because it is easy to forget, isn't it? We don't always forget. And we start living as if God doesn't exist. We go throughout our lives, we go throughout our days, our weeks, and sometimes we just fall into this. One of the best ways I know to remember God's work in my life and in your life is to tell about it, to tell the stories, to tell your community, your kids, your grandkids, to share the moments where God has worked in your life. That's what God told Israel to do. Tell your, tell your family, pass this on to the next generation. Because telling a story helps you remember it. It really does. That God is alive. He did save me. He has done good things for me. He is at work. And it actually sparks more memories in you when you tell those stories. You remember more. And it also reminds you and me that we're not alone in this. And that's really important in the wilderness when days are hard. Because even if you forget the exact stories that this person or that person told you, you might remember them, but you might forget too. But you will remember that There's other people in this too with me. There's other pilgrims on this journey. I'm not the only one going, but I heard these stories at at, at dinner the other day or at church on Sunday or whenever it was. You remember that you're not alone. We're we're a church. We're we're journeying towards God together, and that really matters. So that's the beginning of holiness, but it's not the whole thing. So let's see what comes next, verses 5 to 6 says, now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession among all peoples. You'll be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remembering results and becoming different kind of people. People who live the life that this, uh, that truly is life. And in this passage, God talks about this in uh, three ways. It's being God's treasured possession It's being a kingdom of priests, and it's being a holy nation. So let's look at those just briefly. Uh, Verse 5 starts, now, therefore. So when we hear this, we know what's to come. Depends on what 
what's just been said. So remember you've been saved by God who loves you. Remember that. Now therefore, if you obey my covenant and keep my commands, if you obey, so Israel has a part to play. They can choose to live into the plan or not. But if you do, God says, this is what it'll look like. First, there will be God's treasured possession out of all the earth. His treasured possession. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables of treasured possessions that are lost. A sheep, a coin, and a son. And in each parable, Jesus shows us how God treats his treasured possessions. He goes to any length to get them back first. That's the first thing we see. He leaves the 99 sheep to get the one. He cleans the whole house to find the one coin. And he forsakes his dignity and runs down the road to welcome his son back with open arms. So God will go to any length to seek and save what is lost, his treasured possessions. And second, we see what God does when he finds his treasured possession. Do you know what he does? He throws a party. In all three of those stories that Jesus tells, there's a party. The friends are invited over. Even for the coin and a sheep, (laughs) the friends are invited over and a party is thrown. Food is prepared. A banquet is thrown. Because what is lost has been found. And in Christ, you are God's treasured possession. And to live the life that truly is life is knowing this. And it starts to change things down deep. It really does. When we know this is what Jesus has done for you. He's made us. He's made you God's treasured possession. He's brought you in. Through his death and resurrection, we just get to celebrate in a couple weeks here, we know that we are God's treasure. So holiness is remembering God has saved you and knowing all the way down that we're God's treasured possession and that starts to change things again. You start to be set apart. You start to worry less about others. You start to offer yourself with courage and confidence because you have that mother bear backing you up. You know you're not alone. You live differently, not out of obligation or guilt or shame, but out of love. But there's more. You're a treasured possession. But then this way of life that God says is is his true life is about becoming a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And those two go together. It's about how Israel will relate to the other people in the world. Uh, Back then and still, a priest's basic function is to represent God to the people and to lead the people towards God. And Israel was called to do that, to be God's light to the world and invite other people to follow him. That was their task. And this is our task as priests. But how will we do it? By being a holy nation. Israel must be holy like God is holy in order to fulfill their priestly role. By being the nation that God has set apart. And the end purpose of that holiness is important. It's not isolation. It's not exclusion. It's not withdrawal. But it's so that other people will be drawn to God. So that other people will become God's treasured possession too. That they'll see it. And right here, right here God dismantles for us how many of us, maybe you, certainly me at times, was taught to think about being good or holiness or morality. God says that personal morality doesn't exist. It's never just about me. In in the next chapter here, you'll hear in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, probably the greatest moral code in history, 
I bet many of you have heard them. Maybe you memorized them at one point. But right here, we see the purpose is not just to be good or to be moral or to be upright citizens of society that people respect, as good as that feels. It's not just a being a good Christian. God teaches a way to live or holiness so that we can join his work, his transformative work in the world. He invites you to be holy, not for that personal sense of self-worth or goodness, not so that you can measure it against other people and feel better. He invites us to be holy because it simply is the way of life that is true life. And it's by being holy that we are effective priests and proclaim God's goodness to the world that people do see as goodness. And isn't that what we want to be? To invite people to know Christ, the King. It's by our holiness that we show the world the gospel really works and isn't just a bunch of nice-sounding ideas. The Apostle Peter was the first Christ follower to make this point to reflecting on Exodus 19, this exact passage. At least I think he was the first one. Peter went through a lot with Jesus. He was a guy who was very aware that he was not holy. He had some bad moments. Uh, but later in his life, he wrote this down in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9. But you are, talking to the church, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Did you hear it? Your holiness is for others, he says. It's not personal. <clears throat> They're for others. It's part of God's work. So God, why does God call us to this? To holiness? To living different, set-apart lives? To reject things that many people see as normal? You know, those things like massaging the numbers on your tax returns? Being ruled by a work life? Flirting with someone who's not your spouse? These things, you know, the basic stuff of the Ten Commandments but that seem very normal in our world? And why are followers of Jesus called to live actively in the way that looks strange to others, to share what we have with one another in a way that actually requires sacrifice, to serve the poor, to admit when we're wrong, to forgive when we've been hurt? These are weird things to do in our world. Why? Well, if we live holy-looking lives so that we avoid shame, or we get those affirming nods, or even because we just simply think it's, well, it's how you should live. We're not remembering God. We've missed the purpose. If I clean the kitchen at home before my wife, Deanna, gets home, and the whole time I'm thinking she better notice and be grateful. I deserve that. And if she doesn't, well, you know, I'll give her another chance because I'm a good, loving husband. <sighs> I've missed it. I've totally missed it. That's not holiness. It's resentment. <laughs> and if I'm not remembering God and how I end up, how I end up treating her that, that day will not be life-giving. 
It will be condemning. My decisions are never just about me. They're for my family and my friends and my neighbor. How I remember God and the person I become is not for me, but for the glory of God and joining in his work in the world for others. So that, as Peter says, that others may see your good deeds and glorify God. God is looking for people right here today. He's looking for people who are willing to risk holiness, to live different lives, to have deep character, to let other people feel the weight of God's glory through you. Will you let him do that? Peter challenges us to risk it. Peter says it's worth it. He also points out that you will be a sojourner and exile, in his words, in the world. A sojourner, an exile. Do you know where you go to find sojourners and exiles? You usually have to go to the wilderness. <laughs> the wilderness. Because if you follow God, if you risk remembering him, if you risk this thing of holiness, you will end up in the wilderness before long. You will be spoken of as, as, as an evildoer, Peter assures us. You may wonder, what happened, God? Why isn't this working out? But the reality is, you're right where God wants you to be. And God is right there with you. Because you will be in exile at times, a lot of the times in this life, because this isn't your home. Your home is with Christ. And you have God, you have God right there with you, backing you up, like that mama grizzly. Celebrating you, like the father who cried, my son, he's home, he's returned. Let's throw a feast and slaughter the fattened calf, let's have a feast. You have that God right there with you. This is who he is. But how are you going to do it? How in the end will you end up remembering God in all those hard moments when we're so prone to wander? Mm. Well, you can't always. You will fail. I'm sure of it. I know I do. You will forget. But the good news before anything that we can do in remembering is that you have a remembering God. He remembers perfectly his promises, his character, what he's done for you, everything about you. He remembers you. And like the thief beside Jesus, who with nails in his own hands too begged Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We can rest in the truth that when we cry out like this, he doesn't forget us. He never will. He does remember us. You're inscribed on his hands. You're engraved on his heart. And even though you will forget him at times, he will never forget you. And as we humbly repent before this good God who loves us like, like that thief did to Jesus and tell our stories of God's work to one another and come to his table of remembering and anticipating his return as we do these things, remembering Jesus and his kingdom, the more we will remember him the more we will remember him and he'll work that out in our lives and become the holy people he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for remembering us even when we forget.
Thank you for holding us as your treasured possession, as your holy people, and for coming after us and saving us even when we have walked away from you. We pray, God, will you form us into your people, your holy people who you have set apart, that we may be a light to the world, to those in our lives, to our communities and families and friends, even this week. May it be done in your name by the power of your spirit. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.